Welcome to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm Mike Crump here with Pastor Nathan Smith. Nathan, it's been a fun discussion. Last week, we talked about Ezekiel and the crazy imagery of the creatures. And um, this week, we want you to answer all of our questions about (laughs) the dry bones and the temple that we see in the end of Ezekiel. Sound good? Uh, sounds good. I, I, did you get lots of email questions? Hopefully, and I'm uh, sure they're probably sitting in my inbox yes. right now. So Send him more, everybody. <laughs> Thank and you. He will answer them all. Oh yeah, sure thing. Now, before we get to that uh, familiar vision with the dry bones, the temple, um, remind us the location and mindset of the people of Israel, because I think this is important as we move into what we'll see in these visions. Jerusalem is destroyed. Mm-hmm. The temple is destroyed. The people are exiled. Mm-hmm. Right, so their 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 homeland, their the epicenter of sacrifice and redemption, is gone. Yeah, and you have Ezekiel, who is himself an exile, who just had this glorious vision of God. We mm-hmm. talked about this last time, and now he is speaking the words that that God has told him to speak. Yeah, and the people of Israel are wondering, what is God going to do? Yeah, is God going to do anything? And there are lots of questions of desperation that are now just across the Babylonian Empire with Mm -hmm. the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews, sorry, the Israelites at this time. Israelites are the Old Testament reference, Jews, New Testament Testament. reference, same people. Gotcha. So that's where we find the people of Israel. Okay. So there's there's a hopelessness Mm -hmm. that's kind of set in, and Ezekiel is providing a message of hope. And we see that in this first vision that we're going to look at, Ezekiel 37. He says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of dry bones. And so here, this valley of dry bones, which is a a common story, if you're familiar, Mm -hmm. you grew up in Sunday school and all those kind of things. Uh, What is the significance of these dry bones? Uh, It could be the remnants of an ancient battle, Mm -hmm. and the bodies were just left out there in the elements, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically in Zoroastrianism and Middle Eastern um, thought. uh, There was the belief that you let the bodies um, exposed to the elements, and so that, in other words, nature kind of takes them back. Mm -hmm. And so could it be that? We're not really told. But we have this valley of dry bones, human bones, And the bones symbolize the house of Israel. Mm. We're told that in just a few moments, yeah. but it, it's a very, <laughs> it's a very desolate moment. I mm-hmm. mean, we're talking about desert. We're talking about bones. There's no life. Mm. I mean, at that point, they've been totally picked clean, totally bleached dry by the sun. Yeah. There's no. These are not bodies in dormancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no question. This. These people are dead. <laughs> That's kind of the overwhelming statement. We want to be clear. Yeah. They are dead. They are dead. And that sets up the next point. Is there any significance to, because to have your bones just left and not gathered and placed with the family, which was kind of a common thing for the people mm-hmm. of Israel, that there's almost a disgrace in this as well? That the, Or is this not, not the context here that we're speaking of? Well, well, I mean, in, in normal times, people would, would die. Um, yes, they'd be gathered to their 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 family, their family tomb. The mm-hmm. bones would be put in there into what's called a bone pit. Yeah. You see in the Old Testament, they were gathered to their fathers, literally. Their body was gathered with mm-hmm. the rest of the bones of their family. 
Um, the fact that they are exposed to the elements could insinuate that these have been forgotten, forsaken, and yes, they're in shame and yeah. disgrace. The fact that no one took the attention to actually bring these bones and regather them yeah. uh, to their their uh, their sacred lands, yeah. uh, especially especially in the mind of the Israelite, Mike where burial was of such importance to mm-hmm. where even if you go to Jerusalem today, the Mount of Olives yeah. is basically one massive graveyard. It was a sacred place of burial. You took great care in the burial of of your people. Yeah. And for most of the ancient Near East as well, uh, the pyramids is a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, you buried people in such a way as to set them up for the afterlife. Yeah. And so this is an image of people who have been totally forgotten, mm. totally in disgrace. They have no hope for the afterlife in the mind of the Middle Eastern yeah. or in the mind of the Israelite. They are in the lowest of the low of forgotten shame. Gotcha. But that's not where this vision ends. No. So what happens to these bones as Ezekiel continues to kind of view this vision? Well, God says, hey, I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you an image of what I'm going to do. hmm and what happens. So there's no breath in them. And then little by little, a a wind begins to blow and God begins to work. And then the bones like join together and then sinews start to form over the bones. And then the muscles begin to develop Mm. and then the bodies fully form. And then God says, I'm going to bring a a breath. Mm. The the breath comes, which we understand is most likely the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as the breather of life. Mm. The Holy Spirit blows across them and gives them breath and they stand on their feet a great army. Mm. So they go from death and to shame Mm -hmm. to life and into a designated group. They're called an army, which is a designation of honor, which means that there is order, there is structure, there Mm -hmm. is purpose. So they go from this death and desolation and shame and forgottenness to brought into life, purpose, and organization. Mm. What is God trying to communicate in this? I mean, he's basically saying, I'm going to bring a dead people to life. Mm. In the context of Ezekiel, what is he trying to, let's start there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, what is Israel? Israel is the one who has been destroyed. Their, their temple has been destroyed. Their, their nation has been destroyed. They have been forgotten and mm. left out in the desert in shame. Yeah, They are utterly a destroyed people, both spiritually and practically. And God says, but I can bring this back to life. Mm. Don't doubt my ability, my 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 strength, my power, my redemptive plan, that I'm going to take that which was dead and make it into something that is alive. Amen. It is an image of restoration and hope for the nation of Israel. And for us today, we can see that even in the life of Christ, right? That he says that he is the resurrection and the life, that anyone who comes to him believes in him, though they die, they shall live. And so we see a very real resurrection in Jesus. Very much so. And, and even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, when he says, you were dead mm. in your trespasses. You were a valley of bones and mm-hmm. shame and sin, but you've made us alive Amen. in Christ. So the, even the image of the dead bones and valley I do believe played a part even in Paul's understanding of salvation. It's literally dead Mm -hmm. and literally made alive. Spiritual shame into true, living, breathing, redemptive restoration. So this image, this uh, picture, this vision is really a picture of God 
resurrecting a people, to redeeming a people and, you know, yes. and bringing them to life. Then we move forward to the end of Ezekiel where we see a restoration of, of the land of this temple of almost kind of the context of where uh, life is going to be coming from and everything. So Ezekiel 40 verse 2 says, in, a vis- in visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel and set me down on a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. Where is this happening? Do we know where this is happening? What is this structure? Uh, this structure is described in very strange ways, um, yeah. very, very symbolic measurements. And I would like to make a note maybe here with regards to Ezekiel and draw a parallel to the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. where we also see this description of this heavenly city, mm-hmm. this heavenly temple. And we are the descriptions of it, both of them kind of coincide that it's this cube-like structure. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then we see in the temple, it's described as the city. Um, this structure is the temple of God mm-hmm. uh, being rebuilt. And Revelation, it's the same type of parallel imagery. It's this temple, but a little more clarity in the book of Revelation where it, again, is this cube shape. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're looking at the temple being rebuilt. When we talk about the measurements, why such detailed measurements? Mm -hmm. Uh, The measurements are communicating uh, God's fulfillment, God's completion of perfection. And he's often in different measurements weaving in uh, numbers that coincide with the 12 tribes of Israel. Or some numbers we just simply do not know specifically. Again, as we try to be very literal in understanding of the scriptures, we want to be as literal as possible, except when it's clearly metaphorical, clearly symbolic, Mm -hmm. or again, there is some ambiguity. And this is one of those places where it's ambiguous in terms of the exact look. Some people have said, well, heaven is going to be a perfect cube because Jesus is at the center and we'll all be equidistant from him. Mm-hmm. I've heard that argument. Okay. It's kind of a strange yeah, one. Yeah. But I've always struggled with the idea of this beautiful city that's like a big box. <laughs> <laughs> what else could it be communicating? Yeah. This cubical um, design is actually the exact same design of the inner holy of holies of mm. the temple. The holy of holies was a perfect cube. And, and it symbolized the actual dwelling place of God. Mm. It was not, it, it, there was nothing else like it. It, it. This was where God's presence and his throne room mm-hmm. actually existed. So by giving us the measurements and by giving us the description, I don't think it's so much saying it's a cube. Okay. I think what it is saying is what I'm describing, Ezekiel says, or John in the book of Revelation, what I'm describing is that this place, this is the holy of holies. You're going to have entrance into the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go. You're now going to live there. Like, you're going to eat, breathe, and live in the Holy of Holies. And that's the symbolic point of this passage. Okay. So in the new Jerusalem, or, you know, in this new city, I'm not going to get my tape measure out and make sure that it's uh, (laughs) biblically accurate. (laughs) Uh, Well, it will be biblically accurate, depending on whatever the metrics (laughs) were, um, you know, are... The, the main point is that the city and the temple have now become one. Yes, and and that that's critical. Before it was a it was a temple in a city, isolated place. Only the high priest could go. Great high priest in the holy you holy. can't go into holy holies, yes. and so access is very clearly only for specific people. Exactly in the New Jerusalem, all will be 
part of God's kingdom will be able to access Jesus yes. in that. So so, so, okay. so the city and the temple have become one, and beyond that, the city and the temple and the holy of holies has become one. There's no distinction. The city of God is the holy of holies. It's the very presence of God. Okay. And so he's not only saying he, – he, this is amazing for, the, for Ezekiel and the people that are hearing it. He's not just simply going to rebuild the temple mm. the way it was and yeah. rebuild the city the way it was. He's looking past to a day when there's going to be a city and a temple that surpasses mm-hmm. the first temple, uh, that's going to surpass the first Jerusalem, where it will literally be the very dwelling place of God. Amen. I did re- As I was reading through this, I did wonder if, because the people come back from captivity and they rebuild the temple, mm-hmm. And there's, there's really a cry of disappointment. Like, mm-hmm. this is not what it was. And I wonder if after Ezekiel has proclaimed this, they're realizing, man, this is so far from what he <laughs> has said. So this can't be this final thing. And almost it's, that again, that longing for, oh, man, this is missing the mark. I really long for this. And, uh, and so I was just thinking about that, that, you know, that, uh, that could be part That's good of insight. that. Definitely. Um, so, is this is this really part of the the new heavens and earth that we're we're talking about now? I mean, is this yes? This is end of time. Christ is now reigning. All has been made new. Here is the new temple, the new access point, if you will, for Christ or the dwelling place, if you will. Yes, and you know the the, the end of Ezekiel. I told, said this in our last episode that Ezekiel builds to this crescendo, and mm-hmm. the very last verse in Ezekiel is. The Lord is there. Yeah. Like, that's how it ends. I love it. It's, it's such a concise, beautiful statement. Like, what defines heaven? Yeah. What defines heaven? It is not because there's mansions of glory mm-hmm. and streets of gold and a crystal sea, and we see our loved ones, and yep. we see angels, all of which are going to be um, beyond description. Yeah. But the epicenter of heaven that makes heaven heaven is the Lord is there. Amen. Contrast that with ancient thought where the gods lived on Mount Olympus, mm. away from the people. You never had access to mm-hmm. Olympus. Mm-hmm. Or you had the pantheon of Babylon. The gods lived there. We live down here. The notion of afterlife was still a degree of separation. The gods up there and us down here. Mm-hmm. So they never had a, a cosmology where God and humankind came together. Mm. Never. Yeah. Now Ezekiel says, in our understanding, the afterlife, the heavenly place, is actually we come to dwell on the mountain with God. Mm. Or he comes down to us Amen. and makes his home here. And what defines our existence eternally is the Lord is there. Amen. It's an incredibly succinct and powerful statement. One thing is, as I'm reading through this that came to mind is, if this is part of the new heavens and earth... Why do we still see sacrificial system in place? We, we, we read about that there, um, he shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Um, there's even this, uh, in a couple times it talks about that you have to be careful where you walk so that there's not a transmitting of holiness to the people. And so there's almost, I was a little bit going, well, what does that even mean? Is a sacrifice going to continue in the new Jerusalem? Mm. Um, and I've heard it said that, well, yes, but it's it's looking back in remembrance of the sacrifice rather than looking forward as it was in the previous. Uh, I would very strongly disagree with the sacrifices continuing in heaven. Okay. And here's why. Yeah. That would mean more death. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. I mean, so if there's ongoing sacrifices in heaven, that means that there's ongoing death of something. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the aspects of, of the heavenly state is the end of end destruction of death. and death. Yeah. Uh, and any sense of or concept of fire that would consume mm-hmm. in a destroying way. So from a pure metaphysical reality that mm-hmm. is consistent with what we see in Scripture, there cannot be any more death and sacrifice okay. in heaven. On top of that, there's no mention of that anywhere in the book of Revelation about yeah. continuing sacrifice. So how should we understand Ezekiel? It is that prophetic um, both and okay. where he's looking ahead to this eternal state, but at the same time, until we get there, there are these steps that have to continue mm. before we get to that final point. Okay. Uh, I do think that the chronology is helpful, that the way the book of Ezekiel ends is the Lord is there. Yeah. But until then, there is this increasing things that must be done before that culmination happens. And I would like to point out where it says in Ezekiel 45, 17, it says, He shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, peace offerings, to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel. Who is the he in 45? When we look at Ezekiel 45, who is the one that has to offer these things? It's the prince, right? It's the prince. Mm-hmm. Who is the prince? So we have to ask questions then. Mm-hmm. Okay, who is the one who's ultimately going to make atonement? Yeah. It's not explicitly stated in Ezekiel, but the one who finally makes atonement and actually brings final reconciliation mm. is Christ himself. Amen. And that has to happen before the city comes down and the Lord is there. Yeah. Okay. So there is a sequence here of the ones that must happen and things that must happen before the final city comes into place. Okay. Finally, I do, I just, I love the uh, picture of Ezekiel 47 um, when we see that there is this water that's flowing from the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, it's flowing down, says below the south and end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. It talks about how it will bring healing, it will bring fruitfulness, it, it's going to have these properties of it that are um, divine and, and healing. Is that really kind of another image of what we see in Revelation with the stream of life, the fruit that's growing, all of that? Is it a similar thing that we're seeing there? Um, and, and on top of that, it sounds like this is actually going to the Dead Sea. I mean, is that representative? Is that symbolic? Or is that God's going to take that Red Sea and turn it into a, uh, a living, thriving place. Yeah, the Dead Sea is totally dead, and it's going to be turned into life. It's another type of dead bones imagery mm-hmm. of God bringing restoration into what was formerly death. I do think that this references the river of life that we see in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think these are literal entities, whether or not they are literal entities in exactly the way that they're described. Yeah. I think we have to hold that with an open hand. Yeah. We have to remember that this is all apocalyptic literature, Mm. and that is he dances in and out of between what will be and what is. Even the book of Revelation, it's not this strict chronology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It goes into heaven, comes back down to earth. We get an image of what is, um, and then an image of what will be, and then occasionally we see what was. So it's kind of back and forth. You have to be very careful. The same thing with Ezekiel. He's kind of dancing in between what will be, Mm -hmm. what has been, what is. Um, he, he's kind. He's giving images. Mm-hmm. He's also then talking concretely, and all of it is meant to communicate a redemptive theme and hope that God is going to bring life in where there was formerly only death. Yeah. To close out, let's connect it to Christ. We kind of already did in a couple points. 
Um, but for the believer today, how can we look at this passage in Ezekiel and how should we understand it and what uh, encouragement can we get from it? Jesus is like uh, the, the down payment of hmm. the Lord is there hmm. because the promise is the Lord is there. Yeah. But before the Lord is there, the Lord comes here. Hmm. The Lord comes in the flesh and he makes his presence known and he says, here I am and I am here. And then he dies on the cross and leaves. And as he told his disciples, I'm leaving to go and prepare a place for you. Mm. So the idea of the abode of God, but Christ is the one who prepares the abode of God. God is the one who prepares us so that we can actually live with God. And then Jesus says, I'm coming again. Uh, All of this, what what Ezekiel saw was the Lord is going to be there. Hmm. He didn't fully see or understand the Jesus who would come first. But we know the Lord before he is there came here in order to prepare us. And he's coming again to finally make up and set up his home here permanently with us, which is an incredible thought. It really is. So it's not just the Lord is there. It is Jesus Christ, Son of God, is there Hmm. with God the Father and God the Spirit. Amen. We have more of a complete picture because we stand at a different point in redemptive history. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing to see. It is. And what an encouragement for us, even as we talked last week about this vivid image of a king on a throne and the power that represents here, we have a king, that same power, that same authority dwelling with us. Amen. What a glorious truth. Yes. So, Nathan, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today. Next week, we will continue our look at prophecies by opening the book of Daniel to see how he prophesied what seems to be future kingdoms. So we'll have Nathan answer all of our burning (laughs) questions about that as well. Uh, Looking forward to it. In the meantime, if you have questions about past episodes or anything else, please let us know. You can send your questions to questions at focusedonchrist.com. Visit us anytime for links and more at focusedonchrist.com.